Hi folks, it's Rabbi Sharon Brous here. You are listening to Ikar's podcast where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. This morning, I'd like to learn a text together that comes from a book called Esh Kodesh, or Holy Fire. In the aftermath of the Holocaust, a construction worker was laying the foundation for a new building on the site of the destroyed Warsaw Ghetto when he came across a container buried in the earth. Inside were three manuscripts written in Hebrew with a letter requesting that the contents of the container be sent to an address in Tel Aviv. The author of these documents was Rabbi Kalanimus Kalmish Shapira, who was also known as the Piazetzner Rebbe, who was the rabbi of the Warsaw Ghetto from 1923 to 1943. While we don't know the specific details around his final nays, we do know that he was sent to a labor camp where every Jew was shot and killed. Through recovered correspondence, we know that Rabbi Shapiro was given opportunities to flee the Warsaw Ghetto, but refused to abandon his students and community. One of the manuscripts in this container is entitled Esh Kodesh, a collection of sermons and teachings that he delivered almost every Shabbat and holiday from September 39 to July 42. His teachings and sermons are simultaneously beautiful and tragic. Rabbi Shapira himself described these teachings as Chidushe Torah, Mishnot Hazaam, new Torah insights from the years of wrath. The horrifying external realities provided the context for the discourses, but the internal dynamic of the book was rooted in the author's own creative engagement with the Torah. This, for Rabbi Shapira, was an act of willful defiance, a spiritual resistance that sought life and meaning in our inherited and evolving tradition. In the three years of weekly writing collected in this book, there are a few gaps without teaching. The first gap occurs from September 16th to November 4th of 39. And the teaching that we're studying today is the first sermon following that hiatus. In that time period, Rabbi Shapira suffered extraordinarily. He lost his only son, his daughter-in-law, and sister-in-law in the German bombardment of the Warsaw Ghetto in late September. And he then lost his mother several weeks later. We'll feel the pain, pleading, and courage of this great teacher through the words of his teaching. And on a personal note, I'm grateful to my teachers, Reb Mimi Feigelson and Rabbi Adam Greenwald, both of whom taught me this text with profound open-heartedness. And I teach it today as the grandson and nephew of Holocaust survivors. I dedicate my learning today to the memory of my namesake, Morris Salzer, 
my grandmother Ziva, for whom our daughter is named, and in honor of my Aunt June, born in the Lodge Ghetto in 1939. I invite you to bring to mind the names and memories of your loved ones who similarly endured unbearable hardship. We'll learn Rabbi Shapira's words. Rabbi Shapira begins his sermon with the opening words of this week's Parsha. And the life of Sarah was 100 years and 20 years and seven years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiryat Arba, which is in Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to cry for her. The opening verse of the portion known as Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, in fact, reports her death. Rabbi Shapira next breaks down some of the technical oddities of these verses, highlighting Sarah's virtuosity. But for the sake of time, I've needed to excerpt the full sermon. So what you see below is the next new idea he brings in the sermon, a quote from the Talmud about suffering. The Talmud teaches, just as salt purges meat, so too does suffering purify a human being from sin. The right amount of salt preserves meat. It seasons it, it transforms it so that it can be enjoyed and eaten into the future. And the Talmud claims that the same is true with suffering, that in certain ways, suffering is beneficial to us. Now, before moving any further, I want to name and reject any implication that any suffering we experience is a punishment for our sins. While some of the rabbis of the Talmud explore that theology, I think that there's another way to understand this teaching. Suffering, our experience of heartbreak and pain, radically transforms the way we relate to the world, to each other, to the pain around us. Our anguish can be the most potent catalyst for empathy. Losing a loved one often makes us more attentive to others' grief. The experience of exclusion can open our eyes to others trying to find their way in. You might say that the whole system of ethical laws outlined in the Torah is predicated on this notion. Because you were slaves in Egypt and you know firsthand what it feels like to be oppressed, therefore create a society that protects and empowers the disenfranchised. Make your society the inverse of Egypt. But is this notion essentially that suffering seasons us for the better, is that always true? Sometimes what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Sometimes that's true, but is it always? Listen to the teaching Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Rimanov adds to this quote from the Talmud. He teaches, and similarly, just as meat is ruined when overly salted, so too can people be damaged inalterably by unbearable suffering. 
For a person to be properly seasoned by suffering, the suffering must come with mercy and properly offset against a person's ability to cope. Not all suffering do we heal and learn from. It can cause irreparable harm if it's too much to handle. There's a point in pain in which our pain makes us more open to others, and there's a point in pain in which all we can think about is stopping our pain. Having established here that there are limits to the good that can come from suffering, Rabbi Shapira now takes us into this week's Parsha. First with a question from Rashi, the 11th century biblical commentator. Rashi asks, why does the Torah recount the death of Sarah directly after the account of the binding of Isaac? And Rashi answers, the account of Sarah's demise was juxtaposed to the binding of Isaac because as a result of the news of the binding, that her son was prepared for slaughter and almost slaughtered, her soul flew out of her and she died. Rashi, citing a classic Midrashic interpretation of the, the connection between these two stories, explains that the shock and the grief of learning what her own husband had done to her only son, it was too much to handle, and she died as a result of this news, of this experience. Notice that the Torah doesn't link these stories in the narrative. It's the chronological ordering of these stories that inspire this explanation. But Rabbi Shapira goes one step further. It's not just that these stories happen to be adjacent. He writes, we know that Moses, our teacher, the trusted shepherd, deliberately edited the Torah. He placed these two events, the death of Sarah and the binding of Isaac side by side in order to advocate on our behalf. Advocate to whom? The message is for God. Moses is constructing the Torah's narrative not to communicate something to the human reader, but to the divine reader. Pay attention, God. We need you to know this about us. And what is the message? Rabbi Shapira continues. By doing this, Moses is suggesting that if the anguish is, God forbid, too difficult to bear, then death can be the result. Furthermore, Moses is showing us something important, that if this could happen even to someone as virtuous as Sarah, if she was unable to bear the pain, how much less can we? What Moses in his deliberate editing is saying to God is that there is a limit to how much suffering we can bear. What Sarah experienced was too much. Sarah, who the Midrash teaches was saintly all the days of her life, couldn't handle this degree of anguish. Don't ask us to do the same. And here the frame of the Warsaw Ghetto in 1939, the depth of personal loss Rabbi Shapira has just suffered, the losses his communities are still mourning, come into sharp focus with his question, how much less can we? 
In his final sermonic move, he locates Sarah as a martyr. Not al-kiddush Hashem. Not for the sanctification of God's name as martyrs are called in the Jewish tradition, but al-kiddush am Yisrael. A martyr on behalf of the Jewish people. Demanding an end to unbearable suffering. He writes... The Torah may also be telling us that our mother Sarah, who took the binding of Isaac so much to heart that her soul flew out of her, died for the good of the Jewish people. She died in order to show God that a Jew, and I will add, and any human being, should not be expected to suffer unlimited levels of anguish. Even though a person with the mercy of God survives and escapes death, nevertheless, elements of their capacity, their mind, and their spirit are forever crushed, and a result of this ordeal are lost to them. In the final analysis, what difference does it make whether all of me or part of me is killed? It's a chilling line at the end of his sermon. Sarah's death is positioned as a protest to God. We need you to know, God, that there's suffering we cannot be expected to endure. We need a spirit that can be uplifted. We need hope, even when hope feels impossible. We need a mind that can dream beyond the present moment. We need glimmers of light when it is impossibly dark. And he closes with a prayer. Therefore, let God quickly send us spiritual and physical salvation through revealed kindness. This is a text to sit with. And I hope you'll spend time exploring it. And I welcome any conversation that you're open to having that emerges from this text. But I want to share, by way of conclusion, why why I've returned to this text again and again, and why I offer it to us today. Number one, our tradition does not ask us to sit back and accept our suffering as God's will. A religious mantra that doesn't make room for anger towards the divine, or the ability to say, this is not okay, to whomever is listening, denies a core element of our experience of suffering. And it limits what can be brought into our relationship with God. I pray that any suffering that's present in this space is categorically different from what Rabbi Shapira experienced and still we're allowed to express the fullness of our pain. Which brings me to the second reason, the redemptive element of expressing this pain. When our suffering feels unbearable, when it is no longer edifying, we need ways to say that. We need a tradition that gives us permission to say that, like Moses who edited the text, like Sarah who protested. 
And we need a community and rabbis and mental health professionals and confidants, all of whom are here in this space to listen and hold each other through that pain, to say and find ways to believe together that morning follows night, that today's pain can be softened by tomorrow's hope. Can you hear that song? Hey everybody, Randy Sklar here. I'm an eCar member. And Jason Sklar here. I'm an eCar fan. Yeah, and we uh, love eCar so much. We love the message that eCar uh, delivers in their many podcasts. And we feel like most people feel there aren't a lot of podcasts in this world. I think there are only two or three. There's only a couple. So what we'd like you to do is donate to eCar at ecar-la.org uh, so that they can do more podcasts and more cool things because Lord knows the world needs more podcasts. Yep. 